If you will, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We will be reading verses 17 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Thank you for that reading, Winston. We appreciate everyone being here today. And as you can tell from the reading, we're not having a Father's Day sermon today, but we uh, do appreciate all of our dads and want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And I'm not going to apologize for that, just want to set expectations early. We're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians and talk about walking with a new mind. And that's critical to walking in a new way, if you want to. And I chose this image specifically uh, from a very not thorough Google search. Uh, obviously, a man walking not in West Texas with that green grass, but he's walking through uh, the Bible towards the cross. And that sort of symbolizes, I think, the new life that we have as Christians. And getting to this kind of a walk requires us to walk with a new mind, as Paul uh, has just explained to us in the passage that, that Winston read for us. We begin each of these sort of the second half of Ephesians studies by reading verse 1 of Ephesians 4, which says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So this is a response to what God has done for us, how he has made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, brought us together into the family of God. The response to that is a walk that is worthy of that calling. And we've talked about sort of a high-level view of the Christian walk and what that should look like. We've talked about walking in unity, that we don't do this alone. We come together as the family of God and walk together. But now Paul is going to sort of transition and drill down into the fact that we do have individual responsibility when it comes to our walk with Christ. And so we want to get into that this morning when it comes to walking with a new mind. And so in Ephesians 4.17 that Winston just read, it says that, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And I think Paul is bringing to bear sort of his apostolic authority, if you will, 
um, when it comes to this subject and really kind of laying out the importance of what he's about to talk about. He doesn't just say, hey, I want you to not walk the way you used to, and here's some suggestions on how you, you should walk. He says, no, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk this way. This isn't an option. This isn't a suggestion. This is, you've got to make this change in your life. You've got to be something different than what you were before. And I'm not just suggesting that. I'm saying it, and I'm testifying in the Lord. And when I see the word testify, I think about a courtroom. And I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. But I was raised uh, with my dad watching Perry Mason and Matlock all the time. And so I know at least what a TV courtroom is supposed to look like and what makes a good witness. There are a few things that make a good witness. First of all, if you're going to testify in court, you need to be honest. What's the first thing they do when you take the stand? They make you promise to tell the truth. If you get up there and say, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and they say no, then you're dismissed. Why are you even here? So we know that Paul is telling us the truth. We know that he's given us three chapters of the truth of God. So what's another thing that makes a good witness? Well, you want a credible witness. You want something that's got, someone that's got the bona fides, if you will, okay, that's credible. You know, if you bring in a doctor to testify about some kind of medical aspect of a case, you want a doctor that's certified and that, you know, is respected by their peers that passed medical school. You want someone that's credible. And certainly Paul, called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ himself, is a credible witness. And finally, you want someone that's got evidence. You want to be able to put someone on the stand and say, do you promise to tell the truth? Yes. Are you a credible witness? Yes. What happened? I didn't see anything. What's the point? There's no evidence. And so Paul is someone who is all three of those things. He's given us three chapters of the evidence of what God has done for us in his work through Jesus Christ on the cross. And he's saying, all these, thing, all these things that I've talked to you about, I'm bringing to bear all of my authority as an apostle to say, this is important. You need to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. It's important that you listen to what I have to say. And so he starts by talking about the old self. We've got to take the old self and we've got to put him away or put her away, as the case may be. So verse 17 again. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So Paul, it's interesting to say that I don't want you to walk any longer as the Gentiles do because Paul is writing this letter to a congregation and I'm sure this letter was given to other congregations as well that were comprised largely of Gentile Christians. And so for Paul to say, don't walk any longer as the Gentiles, what he's telling them is, remember, I've told you that you're no longer a Gentile in the spiritual sense of the word. You are now a part of the family of God. Now, ethnically, you're still a Gentile, but the large majority of the Gentile population at this time, and Gentile just means people who aren't Jews, they were living in this way that Paul says, you don't need to live that way anymore. You have become something new. You've been born again in Christ, and now it's time to live a different way. You know, Peter talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. What, what does he say? You know, the time past is sufficient for doing all these things. Whatever you've done in your past Leave it in the past. Let's be done with those things. 
We don't need to do those things anymore. All these things that he lists here. Now look at verse 4. This is interesting. With respect to this, this way of life, they are surprised, they being the Gentiles that aren't Christians, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. What is debauchery? It's all this stuff, to make a long story short. And they malign you, or they mock you, or they slander you, or they disparage you because you don't take part. You know, when I was in high school, this happened to me once. And I'm sure it's happened to you too. You know, I'm with some people from school, and they say, hey, do you want to, you want, you want to drink? You want to get drunk? I'm like, no, I don't do that. I don't drink. And I'm not trying to puff myself up here. i got my own problems. But, but, they were, but they, what it was is they were surprised by this. They're like, really? What? This has even happened to me as an adult. You don't drink? I've even heard the phrase, what's wrong with you? They start to malign you. They start, and I'm telling you right now, this is the mark of a Christian who's walking with a new mind and walking the new way. If the people around you are not surprised by the fact that you don't take part in these things, we might need to check ourselves. Because this is the mark of a Christian. We don't want to walk as the Gentiles do, in this sense. And so he goes on to say they're in the, they're, they walk in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. So what does the word futility mean? Uh, popular culture uh, phrase, fu- uh, resistance is futile. That might come to your minds if it doesn't. I don't know that we can be friends, but we can talk about it later. At any rate... Futility in that sense means it's useless. Resistance is useless. It doesn't matter. In this sense, yeah, that can apply. But what this word means, the word that is translated from Greek to futility, it means uh, uh, devoid of truth or appropriateness. It means that that there's uh, perverseness or depravity or a frailty or want of vigor. In other words, someone who thinks about things that are not good. Someone who has their mind on things that aren't the things of God the things that we read about in the previous passage that the Gentiles do. That's what they think about. That's what's on their mind. That's what they focus on. That's what they want to do. And Paul said they have a futility of their minds and they're darkened in their understanding. You know, and if you think of it in terms of being weak-minded, it's not that they don't have the capacity to understand. It's that they they don't understand because that's not what they think about. It's not what they care about. And so they're darkened in their understanding, their understanding of not just anything, but the things of God. Yeah, they're darkened in their understanding of God. You could be like a great mathematician or a philosopher or historian or whatever. That's not the kind of understanding we're talking about here. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul uses the same sort of verbiage here, and he talks a little bit more detail how this happens. He says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Same word here, futile. I'm trying to color code to make connections here. But what happened? Well, they're futile in their thinking, just like over here. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They're darkening their understanding. So he's making the same connection here, but here he's telling us how they get there. They knew God. They understood that there is a God. And maybe they even recognized and said, yes, there's a God. But they don't honor him as God. And they don't give thanks to him. In other words, we're not letting God be, the, be our God. We're not letting him be the Lord of our lives. And so when that happens, what happens to our, to our minds? Well, we, I'm not going to think about God. I'm going to put that away from my thoughts, and I'm going to think on the other things that I want to do as a natural human. And so my, I'm 
futile in my thinking, my, dark, my heart is darkened, my understanding is darkened. So that's where they get there. And if you notice what's happening here, Paul is taking us sort of in a downward spiral, a digression, if you will, into what takes us into the life of a Gentile. Now, he says there in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in him. So we have alienation by ignorance. We're not talking about little green men. The word alienated means that we are shut out from fellowship or estranged from fellowship or intimate relationship. And so we are alienated from the life of God. He doesn't say we're alienated from God, though that is implicit in what he's saying here. But what he's saying is we're alienated from the life that we could have if we would just put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus and in God's plan. We're alienated. We're separated from that. and We're cut off from fellowship and an intimate relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters when we allow our minds to be, have that futility. And that happens through ignorance. And when I was a kid in grade school, we'd call somebody ignorant, and it wasn't what ignorance really means, like it's, which is just a lack of knowledge. We meant it in a sort of disparaging way. But here, ignorance just simply means a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowledge of God. And that's what it's talking about. Peter says in, in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and be, being sober-minded. So remember, this is all starting in the mind. The title of our sermon is Walking with a New Mind. So preparing our minds, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. <coughs> Excuse me. So Peter says it all starts in the head. It all starts in our minds. we got to be sober-minded. we got to prepare our minds and set our hope on Jesus Christ. Don't be conformed to what? The passions of your former ignorance. When we're ignorant of the things of God, we're alienated from the things of God. We're shut off from those things. We're shut off from the life that we could have because of that. He goes on to say, <clears throat> we're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So, I picked up the guitar when I was in college. I had a friend of mine, buddy I went to high school and worked with some. He gave me an old guitar that you couldn't get in tune, really, and gave me a chord book, and I worked on it, and I practiced a lot. And Every now and then, I still pick it up for a few weeks, just kind of get a wild hair to, to play a little bit, and... Well, those first few days when you're playing, I don't know if you've ever played the guitar, but your, your fingertips just get so sore from pressing those strings down onto the frets. And, you know, it's just, okay, I can't play anymore. It hurts too much. But if you keep doing that, you build up calluses. and Your, your fingertips kind of feel like hard plastic. And you can just play and play and play, and you just can't feel the pain, the sting of those strings anymore. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here when he talks about the, the ignorance being a result of their, the hardness of their heart. They've become callous. Look at what he says here. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. When do my calluses grow on my fingertips? When I practice the guitar a lot. Then I grow the calluses. When we practice sin a lot, guess what happens? We grow calluses in our heart and in our mind. And the sting of sin just doesn't feel hurt as much. It just doesn't hurt. We don't feel grief 
and sorrow for our own sin anymore when we practice sin. And that, comes, that leads to that ignorance. It comes from that hardness of heart. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul talks about this. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, just like nerve endings that have been burned and you can't feel anything anymore. We need to be very careful. Walking in the new way, walking with a new mind, it's so critical to overcoming this type of callousness in our lives. Allowing ourselves to feel the the shame and the pain of our own sin is critical in overcoming that. Letting ourselves grieve for our own sin. And so Paul now is going to transition into the new self. The new self, which is what Jesus made us to be. He's going to tell us how how we should be walking. He's told us how we shouldn't walk. And now he's going to tell us how to walk there, and specifically the mindset that gets us there. The mindset that takes us from the old self to the new self. So he starts off in verse number 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now let's notice something really interesting about the way he makes this transition here. He doesn't just say, don't act this way anymore. You need to be acting this way. It's not just behavior modification. He's giving us the motivation here. And what he's saying is, don't walk this anyway, this way anymore. You used to walk this way. Why? Because your minds were set on those things. Your mind was in ignorance. Your mind was set on things of, of the flesh. He said, don't be that way anymore. You've got to now change your mind. And the first thing you have to do is you set your mind on Christ. That is not the way you learn Christ. That's how he makes the transition. All the things that I've just told you in the first half of this letter, that's what you need to set your mind on. That's what you need to know about. That's what you don't need to be ignorant of. Because the truth is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And it is only through setting our mind on Christ that we can make that change in our lives. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus himself said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's only one person we need to learn from, and that's Jesus. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not physical rest, not rest from physical pain or heartache. Rest for our souls. Rest inside. Forgiveness of sins. Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And so it's very important to note that when Paul says, That's not the way you need to live. Remember, you have learned about Jesus now. And that is what makes the difference in your life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. You see, he's making the same kind of comparison here. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside the sin. Put away the old man. Put away the old self. Let us one with endurance the race that is set before us. How? How do we do that? We look unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. I can't read that passage without quoting the King James. I just can't do it. But it means the same thing. Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith. 
if we're looking anywhere else besides Jesus to try to walk in a new way, to set our mind on that anything besides Christ, it's not going to work. We won't be successful. Only by setting our mind on Jesus Christ can we do that. And he's going to delve deeper into that. Out with the old, in with the new. That's the concept here. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. See, he's still sticking with this idea that, it's, that it starts in our minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a lot going on here. I'm going to try to break it down a little bit. He, first of all, there's three things happening here. Putting off your old self. We've already talked about that. That old manner of life that's corrupt. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice putting on the new self doesn't happen right after we put off the old self. But putting on the new self is a result of the renewing of our minds. Of, of a renewing of our understanding of the way things actually are. And so we renew the spirit of our minds. We put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God and true righteous, in true righteousness and holiness. And so there's a, what I believe to be a parallel passage to this in Colossians chapter 3. And I know this is kind of lengthy, but please bear with me because it goes right along with what we're talking about. And I think maybe even lays it out a little bit clearer as we go through it. So Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So he's making sort of the same kind of comparisons. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Here he's saying, in these, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. See the connections we're making again with the colors. You've put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. How do we do that? Which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Almost exactly the same phrasing. And so, number one, we're getting the consistent message that we've been seeing as we go through these different book studies. The consistent message that Paul is preaching here in Ephesus, that he preached to Colossae. We're seeing the same thing, but we're also seeing sort of a, a, a different perspective on it, if you will, here. We put off the old self. We put on the new self. How do we do that? We're renewed in knowledge. Knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowledge of what God has done for us. Knowledge of the Scriptures. Folks, we can't walk with a new mind if we don't know what the Bible says. We just can't do it. We can't, Justin talked about it in his prayer, thank you that we have your word to show us how we should live. We can't do it without the word of God. We just can't. And so we're renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. What is its? What does this pronoun refer to? It refers to the new self. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed. How is it being renewed? Well, it's being renewed in the image of its creator. Who's the creator of the new self? That's Jesus Christ. Not the creator of the physical body. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says we are created for good works. In in, we're created in Jesus Christ for good works. We were created anew, born again, when we obeyed the gospel. And that's the creation he's talking about here. So we put off the old self, we put on the new self, and we're renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, the new self's creator. Jesus Christ is that creator. And you see Paul coming back to that idea again. You know, when we talked a lot in this series 
I mentioned it in almost every sermon, how, how much Paul goes back to the, the phrase in Christ or in Jesus or in him over and over and over. He never departs from that. In fact, that is the, the thrust of his entire argument and his entire logic. How do you put off the old self? You're renewed in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. So being renewed in the spirit of your minds, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, very familiar passage to us, but listen to how Paul says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How are we transformed? It starts up here. It starts with what we think of. It starts with what we focus on, what's important to us. That's where it starts. And walking in the new way means we're focused and thinking about Jesus Christ, and that's the most important thing to us. And to illustrate, if you'll join me in a bit of self-deprecation here, um, as you can imagine, the body that stands before you today is a lot more than the body that graduated high school, okay, or even when I got married. So it's been a lot on my mind lately. I've got to lose some weight, you know, and so, okay, how do I get in this shape? Well, I think about food. I love food. I like tacos. I like breakfast. I like donuts. I like sweets. I like cereal. I love Apple Jacks. I like having two or three bowls in the evening of Apple Jacks sometimes. What does that result in? Results in this. Okay? But you know, here lately, I've been thinking about some other things. I've been thinking about the fact that I can't breathe when I cut my toenails. I've been thinking about the fact that none of my clothes fit, and, I'm, and I've got kids in braces and kids going to college soon, and I can't afford to buy new clothes when i got to do all that. I've been thinking about, I want to walk my daughter down the aisle here in 20 or 30 years, okay? I, and when those things become more important to me, when I focus on those things, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to start losing weight because when I think about those things more than I think about how much I want sweets and food that isn't good for me, the weight's going to come off. Brother Bill Grant told me one time, he's like, hey, you want to lose weight? Just get that liver problem I had. That'll make you lose weight. Well, I don't want to do that. I know how to lose weight, Bill. I know how to do it. I just don't want it enough. Okay, same concept when it comes to walking with a new mind, walking with a new way, in Christianity, when it becomes more important to us, when Jesus becomes more important to us than living our lives in the way that we used to live them, that's when the change will happen. That's when it'll happen. So, how do we go from thought to action? You know, if I set my mind on losing weight and I want to you know, do all the things that I think is necessary for that, but I don't see results, I'm going to get discouraged. But the truth is, if I'm doing all the right things, I'm going to see results. And if we're doing all the right things when it comes to walking with a new mind, walking in the new way, we will see results. And Paul's going to tell us how to get there in these verses. And we're not going to read through this whole passage right now. But what we see in this passage, there are details, there are specific sins laid out, but Paul is not comprehensive in this list. And certainly he's, we've got two other chapters that we're going to look at where more is talked about. But what he's doing in this passage specifically is he's giving us a formula for change. He's saying this is how you accomplish change in your life. And I believe it comes down to three simple steps. Number one, we stop behaving sinfully. Put away the old self. 
Number two, we start behaving righteously. Put on the new self. And number three, we understand the why. The change matters. We're going to explain this. We go, why, why the, why do, how do we change our mindset that allows one and two? And you could, you could take number three here and put it at the beginning of this list or in the middle of this list, and it's all the same. The change happens because of this. That's how we're able to accomplish the change. And I'll show you what I mean. We're going to break down this passage in the form of this chart here, and hopefully you can read this. So beginning in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. See how he breaks it down with stop doing this? Put away falsehood. Stop lying. Start telling the truth. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says, why? For we are members one of another. Remember, I've just spent all this time explaining to you how your family now, how your brothers and sisters in the household of God, don't lie. Tell the truth. Verse number 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Stop sinning in anger. Now, we all get angry. We're never not going to get angry. He's not saying don't be angry. He's saying be angry and don't sin. So what do we do? Well, we don't let the sun go down on our wrath. And whether you want to take this literal and say, I can't sleep until I get this figured out, or whether you take this as, it's really important that I address this as quickly and as expediently as possible, that's how I take it. But I'm going to deal with my anger in a godly way, in a way that resolves it quickly. Why? Because if I don't, it's going to give the devil an opportunity. It's going to give him a foothold in my life where there shouldn't be one. Number three, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Don't steal. Instead, work with your own hands. Honest work. Provide for yourself. Provide for your family. But it doesn't stop there. Why? So that you may have something to share with those who need. It's not just about providing for ourselves. It's not just about providing for our family. It's so I've got enough now. I've worked in such a way that I can provide for other people who need it as well. That's a very Christian concept. And so the behavior modification doesn't mean as much with what, without what we have over here is the point I'm trying to make. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't talk bad. Don't say bad things. Yes, profanity is among that, but saying bad things about people, gossip, tearing people down, don't do that. Instead, build each other up. Say things that are encouraging. Say things that are helpful. That it may give grace to those who hear. Nobody wants to be around people who, when you run into them, say, well, I wish I hadn't run into them today. And maybe they weren't saying bad things about me. Maybe they were saying bad things about somebody else. Or maybe they were just saying things about how pitiful their life is and how bad they've got it. And you just, well, that's not very encouraging. Do you see the, the pattern here, the formula of how we change, how we live differently? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Stop living a life of bitterness and anger. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Boy, that one's hard, isn't it? How do we forgive? It's one thing to say, well, I forgive you, or how do I, how do I forgive? How can I forgive what they did? You can do it for the same reason that God forgave you, because of Jesus Christ. As God in Christ forgave you, there's the why. So I hope you can see as we go through this, and listen, I don't, want to, I don't want to ask for a show of hands or anything, but is there anyone in this room who knows you shouldn't do these things on the left? 
We all know that. Is there anyone who doesn't know we, we should be doing these things? We all know that. What Paul is saying is, in order to accomplish this and do it successfully in a way that matters, you've got to understand Jesus Christ. You've got to understand what he's done for us. You've got to understand why all this matters. And that starts with changing our mindset, the way we view the world, and we do that through the lens of Jesus Christ. You might have noticed that we skipped over verse 30 as in that chart. As Paul is, has a tendency to do, a lot of times he makes little interjections or parenthetical statements, and I think this is one of them. Uh, we talked in chapter 3, I believe, where he basically has a 12-verse parenthetical statement. And so verse 30 here says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is important. And somebody might say, well, he's, verse 30 is a follow-up to verse 29 about no corrupting talk, and when we do that, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And so are we saying it doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit when we commit these other sins? I don't think so. You know, in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10, speaking of Israel, it says they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned, their, turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. The people of Israel rebelled against God. They grieved his Holy Spirit. And so what happened? He turned away from them. He became their enemy. And then you might say, well, then it's the sin of rebellion that grieves the Holy Spirit. Rebellious sin. Is there another kind of sin besides rebellious sin? Am I wrong in thinking that every kind of sin we commit is rebellion against God? Sin grieves the Holy Spirit of God, pure and simple. And that's something that we need to have in our minds as we are tempted to commit sin. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul talked about? He alludes to it here. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 13. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What role the Holy Spirit plays in our salvation? It's very important. The Holy Spirit is a seal. God's stamp of approval, if you will. This child is mine. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit on the day that we obey the gospel. And God says, this is one of mine. And the Holy Spirit, is, he's the guarantee of our inheritance yet to come. Why would we want to grieve the Holy Spirit by walking in sin? Now, important distinction, as Trevor talked about last week, about how we're, there's a difference between walking in sin, you know, that, uh, I can't remember the tense, Trevor, but the present continuous type of behavior versus point in time, right? Point in time behavior versus a continuous. And it's that continuous behavior we talk about. When we live that way, it grieves the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit with which we've been sealed. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that grants us strength, the strength to make this kind of change in our lives. And so when we have our minds focused on what God has done for us, our minds focused on Jesus Christ, and we have our minds focused on the fact that the Holy Spirit has been, is the seal of our salvation and gives us inner strength, that just gives us all the more reason not to walk in this kind of way. And as we close this morning, one final point I want to look at that I think is really important for us to understand when it comes to any kind of sin and repentance and living with a new mind, which causes us to live with a new life. 
And that is, what, is, what role does the new self play in our salvation? What role does the new self play in our forgiveness of sins? Is it the result or is it the cause? And I submit to you that what Paul is saying in this passage, that this kind of life, living this way, putting these things away and putting on the good things is the result of what God has done for us. And it's very important that we look at it that way because we might say, well, you know, living in this kind of life, living this kind of uh, new way of life, it's some sort of payment for our past life. And I know there's such a thing as the consequence of sin. This has been on my mind recently for other reasons, and that's why it sort of jumped out at me today. But understand this. People might say, well, let's, let's live this way now so we can sort of pay for what we've done in the past. It's not the way it works. Well, let's live this way now as some sort of uh, restitution, if you will. You know, if that was the case, Paul wouldn't say, uh, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. He would say, having put away falsehood, let each one of you go to every single person you've ever lied to and confess that you lied to them. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, let the thief no longer steal and let him give back or pay back everything he ever stole. Now, will a person walking in the new way do those things to some degree? Probably. But it's not about restitution. It's not about saying, I'm somehow paying for all the bad things that I've done in the past. It's certainly not earning my salvation. Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross is what paid for my sin. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I don't pay for my old life with my new life. My new life is just simply who I am. It's what I've become because I've had a change of mind that results in a change of heart that's resulted in a change of my life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Remember, we're created in Christ Jesus. We obey the gospel. We're born again. We're created in Christ. We're new, and we're created for this. This is who we are. Never forget that Jesus paid the price. And what we are now doing is living in the image of Jesus Christ. As we consider walking with a new mind and what that entails, it's critical. It's critical to our lives as Christians. And as Paul denotes by testifying in the Lord, bringing to bear all of his authority as apostle, it's critical not because it somehow makes us righteous and pays for our past sin. It's critical because it's why Jesus died for us, to make us that kind of person. He did it to pay the price of our sin and to create a new self that puts sin away and that puts on the new self and lives righteously just as he did. If you've not begun this walk this morning, I want you to know there's no better time than right now. If you've been taught the gospel, which we've talked about ad nauseum during this series and another series, the fact that Jesus Christ came to this world as a man, left, left Godhood behind, so to speak, 
left his home in heaven and came here to be a man and to endure all the hardship that we endure and to go to the cross, not because of any sin he committed, because he was the perfect and spotless Lamb of God, but he went as the perfect sacrifice, paid for my sin, paid for your sin at the cross, and he was raised the third day and exalted. And just as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, we are raised and exalted with him when we obey the gospel. And if you've never done that, if you've never been buried in the waters of baptism, remember what Paul said in Romans 6, 4, we are buried with him, therefore, in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too, what? Walk in newness of life. Start your walk today. Make the choice today to be buried with Christ in baptism and begin walking a new way with a new mind. If you need the prayers of the church, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.